So I'm just gonna draw, draw attention to it. Uh, my shoes are hurting my heel. And so we're gonna, we're gonna be real holy today. We're on holy ground after all. Uh, it actually works really well for this sermon we're about to preach because we're like the name of today's sermon is God's dwelling place. Or yeah, God's dwelling place. Uh, anyone wanna guess where God's dwelling place is? A place where you take off shoes, no? Isaac? Us, absolutely. Uh, spoiler alert for the entire sermon, we are building to the fact that God is dwelling with his people. Amen? Okay, so uh, just a quick, quick recap. Uh, this section that we've been doing for the last three weeks has been Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Now, verses 11 to 22 of Ephesians chapter 2 is really meant to, to be taken in in one sitting. It is meant to be read and understood as one giant context, uh, although Paul is building a thought through it, so we broke those thoughts into three, his three major thoughts, and I preached three sermons on it. And so I just want to quickly recap that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 to 13, uh, is the concept that God brought his people together. And we talked about the fact that no matter how far off you were, uh, no matter how far away you were from specifically Israel, because all of God's promises were given to Israel, the promise of a savior, the promise of his presence, the promise of uh, salvation, the promise of God, of being God's people, of being God's children. Those promises were given to Israel until Jesus came in and he bridged this gap and he created a new covenant, new commandment, welcomed us in. Paul was addressing that. And then he shifted to what we talked about last week, uh, verses 14 to 18 of chapter 2, where God talked about how he, he now made peace between the people he brought together. That's right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So first God called us all together, and then he made peace between us. Yeah. Uh, now this peace is, like we talked about, is specifically peace between the nations, the Gentiles and the Jews alike, that there is no room for racism in Christianity because God brought the nations together under him. We are not uh, African, we are not American, we are not Canadian, we are not anything else. First, firstly, we are Christian. We are part of a new covenant and a new people, and there is no more differences between us. Now, your heritage, uh, I'm not saying that's not important because what I love the Bible that says that before his throne will be many tribes, many tongues, and many nations. And so I personally believe uh, if you're black in heaven, you're going to be black on earth. Flip that. If you're black on earth, you'll be black in heaven. Me, I'm still going to be white in heaven. Uh, I, I believe that. And I believe I'll still know my languages. I believe I'll still know where I came from and I'll understand my heritage. But then I will put all that at the feet of a greater kingdom. That's right. Because when God says he's bringing the nations together, do you think it's just going to be one color in that room? It's not. Right? It's so important to his picture, this tapestry God is weaving. Now, today we're going to talk about that now God brought people together. He made peace between those people. But now we're going to talk about now these people who are at peace together. He is building them into being a holy temple. Yeah. Right? He brought us together. He made peace between us. And now he wants to dwell with us. Right. And so we're going to talk today about the fact that as the church... We now know, we spent two weeks talking about, you didn't deserve this. There was no promise given to you, but God made sure that you deserved it. And by the shedding of his blood, you now deserve it, right? Agape means a love that gives meaning. And so while we might have been meaningless because of God's love, there is suddenly meaning or purpose or significance to us. His love made us 
significant. It made us worth it. Right? And he, he brings this peace between us. So that anyone is welcome to the fold. Jesus said, I have, a, I have a fold, and I have a fold far off, and I'm bringing them together. This is the good shepherd verse. Who is the fold far off? I made the joke last week. I got to make it again. All of us, except for Glenn and Ellen. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, wave, wave your hand, and Aaron Rosenberg. Jesse. Just kidding. Uh, and Pierce? Man. Handsome, I, I'm mad. Okay, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> keep moving. We're gonna keep moving. Uh, but then I bet I bet his feet look good too. Like I'm mad about it. Uh, I'm just kidding. All right. So Ephesians chapter 19 uh, to 22, uh, and it's now that this people brought together. God is building something. You have to know something. You individually are the temple of the Lord, Amen. and us together is the kingdom of the Lord. It is the great temple being built. We are individually filled with the fullness of God, and yet we are not complete unless we are filled together. Okay. It's a great mystery. Let's read 19 to 22, and then like normal, we'll back up to 19, and we'll just go right through them. Amen? So verse 19 uh, to 22. So then there are no longer strangers and aliens. Hear that? There's no aliens, conspiracy theorists. I'm just kidding. Uh, this is about... Uh, Right, foreigners. Uh, for you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Uh-oh, what does that mean? Okay, but Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's why we sing the song, Christ Alone, Cornerstone. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together. What does that say? Together into a dwelling place by God or for God by the Spirit. Pause that. Who's in this verse? The whole Trinity. Who is him? Jesus. Where, who is the God dwelling in us? It's the Father. By the Spirit. The fullness of God brought the fullness of his kingdom into full completion. This is our already but not yet theology. The kingdom is here and it is coming. God is ruling and reigning and he is on his way. We're just here to spread a message. We're just here to preach the truth. Because when the fulfillment of the church age comes, that's it. His kingdom will be complete. And every name in the book of life will be the name that is a part of that kingdom. And every name not in that book of life will not be a part of that kingdom. And so we preach. Or as Paul says, how will they believe unless we preach? Amen. Dear Lord in heaven, help me preach your truth. God, you are good. I thank you that you dwell in the midst of this people. I thank you that you dwell in me. And in Jesus' name I say, amen. I can go all the way back to verse 19, and let's just work on through it. Can y'all say God's dwelling? God's all right. Uh, quick, like, kind of like a recap, but honestly, verse 19 is kind of like a nice little recap of everything we've talked about. Over the last two weeks, three weeks, I forget if the worship set was between the two. Um, but so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I'm going to pause there quickly, and here's what I'm going to say. We have a podcast uh, the last two sermons that we preached, I ripped in on this. 
And so I would like to go to new topics and new talks. This is literally just Paul summing up what he's talked about to take us into his final conclusion. Uh, and so truthfully, this is just a recap. This is just, there's no more, diff, there's no separation between the nations anymore. There's no more racism. There is no more Jew and Gentile. There is no more of that. We are that heritage wise, but we are not that in the kingdom. Spiritually, we are one. We are equal. We are together. We are many parts. We have specific functions that God chooses to use us as, but no peace is greater than another peace except for the peace, which is Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Not even the apostles and the prophets we're going to talk about. The up-prophets. Love it. Not even the apostles and the prophets we're going to talk about. They had a beautifully big in-your-face role, but they are not more important than any other Christian, any more block in this temple. They just had a foundation to build. And their names get to be in heaven, which, you know, I guess mine is too, but it's not on the wall, you know? They get that. I guess we'll talk about it. Uh, so I've been, these last three weeks, uh, the way that I've been taking our sermon, I've actually been using a commentary, uh, and it's written by Wolford and Zuck. Uh, I would highly recommend using it. And so as they kind of broke down this section, they used a title for this last thing we're talking about that I want to share to you guys. The title is, they said, The Consequences of Our Union. And because the word consequences sounds negative, I didn't want to title the sermon that. Uh, but really, by like consequence doesn't mean something bad. It just means you did this, therefore this happened. Yeah. Right? And so it's like, like if my, my son successfully went to the bathroom in the toilet, this is spoken in faith. He has not done that yet. And I, and I give him a candy for doing that. That was a consequence, a positive one. But because the word sounds so negative... Uh, it can sound negative, but the consequence of our union, because God brought us together, therefore, this is going to happen. And that's what we are talking about today. Does that make sense? Yeah, this leads us to the rest of the chapter. Paul begins to break down the fact that the saints are the temple of God. I'm going to cut this into three portions for three verses. Uh, and here are the three portions. Uh, the foundation of the temple the formation of the temple, and the function of the temple. If you want to write that down, you can. I'm going to repeat it as I go forward um, because that's really important. He never actually says the word temple, but all of this language that we're about to read is Old Testament imagery. Uh, these, are, these verses are callbacks to Old Testament verses about God's temple. So we know he is speaking of a temple. He calls it a building, but we know he is speaking of the temple of the Lord. Um, amen? So verse 20, let's just, let's just ramble on. Let's party. Uh, built, what's built? Uh, let me that. <laughs> the household of God, uh, right? So the household of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Blam, we're going to leave that right there. That has a lot to take in. It's a lot of words. Uh, so let's work this from, if you're thinking about we're building a building. Has anyone ever built a building here? Some of you might have. Pastor Thomas, Taylor, Glenn. What? No, build. Oh, is, is drawing and building the same thing? Um, <laughs> um, if you're building a building, um, as Jesus Christ is focused on as the cornerstone, uh, the first thing you want to build is the foundation. Right? I mean... That makes sense. Have you heard of the building uh, that they built? It's like a, it was like a mod, they called it a modern experiment. They tried to build a building with no foundation. Have you heard about that? Crashed. Amazing. 
because you have to have a foundation. <laughs> and so as God begins to build his holy temple, which is us, he started with a foundation. That foundation was laid out by Jesus Christ and the apostles and the prophets. So quickly, we'll start with the most important piece because when you are building a building, you start with the cornerstone. So I want to define cornerstone for you guys according to the dictionary. We'll pop it up. I brought it for you. Um, a stone that forms the base of a corner of a building. Can I tell you guys something hilarious? I have been a Christian pastor for like six years, right? I've been a lead pastor for almost three. Uh, I've been teaching in church for almost 10 years now, preaching and teaching. I thought a cornerstone, literally, this is the dumbest thing in my life. I thought a cornerstone was right in the middle. It's called a cornerstone. When I find, for this study, I Googled cornerstone for the first time in my life, and I, just, I saw the brick, and I was like, oh, man, wow. Wow, it's so dumb. Like, I understood, like, in my head, it was like, because you build everything off that piece, so it's in the middle, and you build off of it. Like, that's my brain. But then the concept is like, when you, when you put a puzzle together, what do you do? You find the corner pieces first. Yes, you do. Don't lie about it. You absolutely do. It's the easiest piece. So that's what they do. Uh, a better definition that really defines Jesus really well. The second definition for cornerstone is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. Not Freemasons, but like, you know, I'm just kidding. Uh, all other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure, period. Jesus Christ set the foundation of the church, and everything else was built off of him. So the church could not grow unless it growed in agreement with the structure of the building that the cornerstone had already set. And I've read that oftentimes the size of the cornerstone can make it so that a building cannot exceed a certain length. That if the cornerstone's too small, you actually, no, you actually can't go this far with the building, right? So the cornerstone's breadth, how, how big it is, will in fact impact the growth of the building and how far you can take it. Uh, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Uh, that is us. Obviously, I don't think this comes as any conclusion to a Christian. First thing you have to do in order to become a Christian is what? You have to believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And he immediately sets a cornerstone. Theology is so important. Because who Jesus is is so important. And that's what theology is. People will often say things like, oh, I don't, I, I don't believe in theology. I've heard that before. And it's like, well, then who's Jesus? Well, he's the son of God. There you go. That's your theology. You did it. It's not even a bad word. It's actually a really good one. It's really exciting. It's just the study of. But the teachings of Jesus, the apostles, and the prophets is perfectly housed in the building of the Bible. The foundation of our faith is found in the Holy Scriptures that, were, that faithfully tell the history and teachings of our Lord and his followers. Uh, this is what's crucial. Uh, obviously, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. But how do you know him? Prayer and Bible. That is how you know him. If, you, if we're not focusing in on both of these things will be missing aspects of God because people who just read but never pray know of God but often don't know him. And people who pray but never read will often entertain spirits that are not our Lord because they do not know him. 
And that's how you get cults that run around with, uh, oh, the Bible has been corrupted, so we've come and fixed it for you. You know how often Jesus responded to the devil with, is it not written? If we do not know what is written, we can't even respond to Satan the same way Jesus did. It's so crucial. Uh, Give me verse 20 again. So when it's talking about when Paul is writing that the foundation is built on the apostles and the prophets, and he says, but Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, Paul is saying, what I am writing and what I am teaching is theology. It is the word of God, but hold me to the cornerstone. If it does not line up with Jesus, I am in fact a liar. And if the, if the prophets prophesy and it does not line up with Jesus, they are in fact liars and not prophets. Right? But I am here to tell you something about the foundation. It is set. The building will grow, but the foundation is set. Apostles will not walk this world today and create new doctrine. They will not do it. Prophets will not walk this earth today and speak words that are contrary to the Bible. They will not expound upon the Bible. They will not add to the Bible. Muhammad and Joseph Smith try to do the same thing. And they are called prophets and apostles. And I'm not saying prophets and apostles are bad. I'm not even saying they're not around today. I'm saying the function of establishing the foundation has ceased. The foundation is set. Which is why I believe the Bible perfectly capstones itself with revelation that says, if anyone adds to this word, a curse be upon him. You know who wrote that? An apostle. Who set the foundation of the church. Does that make sense? This, is the, this was the, the stretching part. Everything else is all rainbows and butterflies. Uh, but, but this part, is, it's so important that we understand no one in here is going to have a new revelation about God. You might have a new revelation to you. You might have an eye-opening thing where the word comes alive or you see God in a way that you never did. That is all game and it is game on. But you will not have a fresh new revelation that has not been brought to this world before because Jesus brought it all And what he left behind were 12 apostles that finished and put a period on the work. Now, not the work of growing the temple, but the period on the foundation. It is set. Because if it wasn't set, but God was still trying to grow it, we talked about this, it would fall apart. That's actually why I believe Jesus Christ in his life, he never left within 30 miles of his hometown. He didn't go out to the world because he was setting a foundation a foundation so strong that people could take that foundation to the ends of the earth. Amen? All right. um, Harold Eberly, uh, there's a book Pastor Zach sent me, and uh, he has a quote that I actually really like, and it's in relation to this. It says, a person's rejection of truth is not usually an open denial, but rather a subtle acceptance that one's own thoughts instead of God's are correct. And I think that's really crucial Uh, When reading the Bible and interacting with this world, I think so often we're seeing churches and it's like, why is the church so divided? It's because for many people, they're deciding to read into the text what is culturally relevant to stay relevant. And so we're losing sight of the true word of God. And I think it's important for us not to lose sight of a simple truth uh, that we have to submit to God and say that what God taught us is correct. As a pastor, my authority begins and ends as long as it is within the foundations of the Bible. 
If I teach you anything counter-scriptural, I walked outside of my authority and I had no business walking there. Which is why pastors are not celebrities to be worshipped. They are men to be tested and then respected because they walk in line with the word of God. Right? But they are not men to be worshipped. They are not men to be celebrated above another. Uh, they, they are men. The Bible does say elders are worthy of double honor. And so when the apostles and the prophets, and they're, they're spoken of, right? When God left this earth, he left 12 apostles. 12 is the number of government. It's the same reason why God had 12 tribes in his nation. When God tends to establish authority, for some reason he uses the number 12. And so likewise, when he was leaving, he left 12 apostles to establish a government with people who actually had authority. They weren't greater than the people they led, but they were men of authority. And that's very important because that's what gave them the authority to lay a foundation. And all of us are just walking on borrowed authority. Am I within the confines of what God has taught? Or as King David said in Psalm 119.11, he says, I have stored your word up in my heart that I might not sin against you. That the word of God written on my heart is sometimes the thing that will launch up and say, no, don't walk off the foundation. Stay in this home. It is a good home. It is a strong home and it is a growing home. And there is power in this home. And you are anointed in this home. And you are called to walk in a gift that I have given you. And there might be trials, but I have anointed you. And I have prepared you for those trials. And some of you are to teach. Some of you are to heal. Some of you got to speak in tongues. And some of you need to go out to the nations. And some of you need to plant. And some of you need to change the world. And some of you need to change your home. Uh, And some of you need to speak and shake the nations. And some of you just need to raise your kids right. But everyone has a role within in this kingdom and God has given all of us distinct wonderful and beautiful authorities according to his word which is our foundation thing two is the formation of the church so first I want to take us to first Peter chapter 2 verse 5 which says uh, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house that's us we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. It's almost like Paul and Peter, two different apostles in two different parts of the world are writing almost the same words because God was building a temple. Uh, To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So verse 21 of Ephesians 2. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Here's what I love about this verse. In whom, that's Jesus, right? The whole structure being joined together, that's your church. That is the church. That is Jesus Christ's people grows into a holy temple how does the temple grow evangelism when we first started boulevard church i felt that god had given us like almost like a a holy focus and that was let this be a place where people will love me where people will find community and where we will make disciples of jesus christ We have called them the three pillars. Uh, A few years ago, I only preached the three pillars for an entire year. 
we preached through the whole thing. Because I really believe that if you really just love God with everything in you, you really just become a part of a community, loving, sacrificing for another, spending time with one another, and you really go out and preach to the people in your lives, I believe you will fulfill every commandment that Jesus Christ ever gave his people if you pursued those three things. I think you would slip, fall, and trip in the land in all the right things that God has ever called you to do. Uh, and you see it again in this, that Christ Love God. He is drawing this body that's us together and he wants us to grow it or he's growing it. But how does it grow? It grows. Those will believe if we preach. That's us. Francis Chan says, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Bible says that you are a necessary part of the church and that your church is actually hurting if you are not doing your part. The church is not a place for five or six people to be recognized as great. The church is a place for all of us to lift up a holy calling and carry something in a holy direction together. And this church's goal is every Sunday, every Wednesday, every good news club, we want people to grow closer to God, we want the church to become more united, and we want to see people become disciples of Jesus Christ. In Christ Jesus, the building is formed together. We are truly unified as one in Christ. The growth of the temple speaks to God growing his temple. As the saints evangelize, God adds all converts to the temple that he is building. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. If sinners be damned, at least let them go to hell by leaping over our dead bodies. If they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and no man go unprayed for. God is growing his church. But as exclusively and often is said in the Bible, he chose to grow his church through us. He didn't leave within 30 miles of his hometown. He sent people. And what I love is you read the Great Commission. What does Jesus say? He goes, go and teach them all that I have taught you. So, hey, Jesus sent us out. Now that you guys are built up in disciples, he's sending you out too. Because that's what he taught us. And so we're just teaching you. And the same holy calling that is on the apostles, that is on the prophets, that is on the, uh, the New Testament church as it grows and it takes, we all carry a part of that. And as Francis Chan's quote that I read, I want to remind you that if you're not walking in your portion, that little sphere of influence that God actually gave you, then we're missing something. And, and it's not because you're a failure or you're messing the church up because God is going to glorify himself, but it, it's because... Man, there's an encouragement that I won't get until I see you walk in your calling as a pastor. And I'm sure there's an encouragement you guys wouldn't get if your pastors weren't actually carrying themselves well as pastors before you. There's an encouragement the people to your left and right won't receive unless you actually speak that word to them that God put on your heart. He didn't put it on someone else's heart. He put it on your heart to speak it because he wanted to use you. And how often I will hear people pray prayers of God, use me. And then how often I will hear them walk away from the church saying, I feel so used. But God is forming a church. That's us. That's the church up the street. I don't know if the closest church. I think Avenue is the closest church. Maybe win the city. We're not in competition with them. We're growing together. Amen.
That's why we try to do unity services, because we're not in competition with each other. <laughs> because the church needs to unify, because we are one. It's, it's, like, it's kind of the concept. God is having us do something in this neighborhood, and God is having them do something in their neighborhood. And apparently, if you're here, God called you to do something in this neighborhood. <laughs> right? And that's why you're here. Don't go to church because their chocolate milk tastes better than the other places' uh, strawberry milk. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, I like this church more, but they got coffee on Sundays. Well, yeah, so do we, but amen. Lastly, as I wrap this up, the last thing about verse 22, what is the function of this church? This is the most important part. Uh, this is a glorious, awesome, holy thing. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place by, uh, for God by the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. the function of this temple is to be a place for God's holy dwelling. Or God's desire is to dwell in the midst of his people. Thank you, Isaac. Genesis. God is walking within his people. Sin happens and there's a separation. And from that point on, God has one goal, it seems, is to bring his people back. He builds a temple, or he has them build a temple. First, he has them build a tabernacle. And he walks with them. He sets them free and he walks with his people. But there's this implicit promise, oftentimes seen in the Old Testament, where he says, and I will bring the nations. Started with his people. So again, this is what Paul was walking us through. So they walk through a wilderness, and they, and they, and they, they get to a promised land. And in that promised land, they raise up kings, and a king builds a temple for God to be permanently housed in the place of his people. I love, there's a verse where God literally tells his people in the Old Testament, he says, do not crap in the camps literally the word is actually blunt he says for i walk in your midst hilarious god didn't want to step in it right he's like i'm literally walking within the midst of my people so like take that somewhere else you know what i'm saying but like it's a picture of intimacy that god is drawing that i'm walking here i am here as Pastor Eric pointed out, oftentimes when you see the word presence in the Bible, that word will translate literally to face. So when God says my presence is here, he's saying my face, I'm looking at you. Which takes us all the way. And still we see Moses trying to say like, I want to see your glory. And God's like, listen, I know I want to be with you, but it's not time for that yet. I'm not here just yet, not fully. So he lets Jesus see, he lets, well, he lets God, Moses sees the passing glory of God, which is Jesus Christ, all right? And so he sees Jesus in passing, and he's like forever glowing as Michelangelo drew pictures of Moses with horns because he really misunderstood that verse. Uh, but, but there was just beams of light going off of his head. Uh, and as you, if you've been here, you know I talk about this a lot. So eventually you get to this point where Jesus is on the scene, where the promise is here, and a woman with an issue of blood, a sinful woman, touches Jesus' robe. And so the Bible says, like, seriously, some of the most profound words in all the scriptures is then Jesus turned around, right? And so it's like in the Old Testament, Moses is like, Moses, God's dude, could only see the backside of God. And then a sinful woman with an issue of blood who, according to the Levitical law, is supposed to be outside of the camp, touches Jesus and he faces her. Because suddenly they wouldn't die in the face of glory was the point of Jesus coming. 
But Jesus says it's better that I go. Because he didn't want to be next to us. He wanted to dwell with us. He wanted to be within us. He wanted to build a holy people. So he left. Romans 8, 9 says this. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, period. So if you are with God, then the spirit of God dwells within you. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one in spirit with him. You know what the verse preceding that says? Literally, it says that anyone who sleeps with a prostitute becomes conjoined with her. And it says, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one with him. The picture of intimacy drawn right there. That God wasn't just building a people that he could preside over. He was bringing like a oneness between us. And no, you are not God. You're still worshiping him. But he wants to be so close to you. I love it when the Bible, we, we translate it to the apple of our eye. But you've heard me say this, and I want to say it again. But that apple of the eye means the maiden of my whites. Meaning I want you to be so close to me that I can see my reflection in your eyes. He loves you, church. He loves you when you don't love yourself. He loves you when you feel unworthy. He loves you when you feel like you don't belong. He loves you when you feel overlooked. He loves you when you're feeling yourself. He loves you when you're all up in your pride and your emotions. He loves you when you can't make rent and when your bank account's overflowing. Because his love isn't based on us. I said this during prayer, and I'm going to say it to you guys. Christianity is a work-based religion. Don't let anyone lie to you. But the work is Jesus's. Right? Jesus Christ did all the work. And the reason why we don't have to interact with God from the place of works is because God did the work. He opened a path. He made a way. And sure, that path is narrow because there is only one way to God, and that is Jesus Christ. There are no other paths. But that way is clear. You can walk it. He has welcomed you. The gate is open. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with praise and walk boldly before the throne of grace. God dwells within you. He is building us together. He is calling us to love him, love each other, and to grow this beautiful thing that he has called his temple, his church, his bride, his nation, his kingdom. We have a part to play. You are significant and you matter. And should you not play your part, we will all be worse off for it because you matter too much. Ain't no one in here as an appendix, which I am living just fine with that one. <laughs> Everyone here is irreplaceable. Dear Lord in heaven, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you that you built us together. God, I thank you that you called us here to this. Thank you for worship today. Thank you for the Good News Club. <laughs> thank you for this sermon, God. I thank you that you inspired Paul to write Ephesians 2. That unlike any other religion in the world, God, you drew, new to, you drew near to us when we were far way off. You found us when we didn't want to be found. Broken and a mess.
God, I thank you that you were not a respecter of persons. <laughs> and I thank you that when I was running, you chased me down. God, you were so faithful and so loving. So in the name of Jesus, I speak over everyone in this room. God, I pray that we would recognize our significance. That God, peace wouldn't be something that we strive for, but it would be something that has found us. In the name of Jesus, I say, amen.